I have a dream to make movement practice universally understandable and accessible to anybody in the world and even understandable to those who are outside of the culture. I've started with the podcast featuring conversations that I have with teachers and practitioners who are in this community. I've learned so much from these conversations and really connected with people, both the listeners and the people that I've got on the podcast, and that's been a real joy. And so I want to pay that forward. I want to help listeners to this podcast also connect with other listeners and with teachers who I have on the podcast. So I'm really pleased to announce the opening of the Active Hang. The Active Hang is an online discussion board or a forum, a space for thoughtful and critical discussion on movement practice. You have a question? You want to meet the others? Jump on the Active Hang, say hello, ask your question and connect. My dream for the Active Hang is that it can become an asset to the community, a knowledge bank, a resource, one where people come and contribute. Where can you find it? It's on the passivehang.com. It's free to sign up. Come in and say hello. Once more again, you can access it at thepassivehang.com. Episode 42 of The Passive Hang. It's Fayon here, and today I've got Garrett Kuljian on the podcast, better known as G-Money to some of you out there. Garrett is a practitioner, teacher, and physical therapist who resides in San Diego, California. Really happy to have Garrett on. We cover a lot of areas, including bodyweight strength, flexibility, development, load management, and how to juggle a lot of goals. All right, I'm not going to hold it up. We're going to get started, and I'll see you guys in the episode. All right, guys, thanks for joining once again. We're at episode 42, and I've got Garrett Kuljian. Kuljian? Yeah, Kuljian. Who is better known as, from what I've seen, as as G-Money, or the Supple Dragon. Um, And... I'm really pleased to welcome you to the show. Really happy to be here, man. Like, big fan of the show. Yeah. And so I was trying to dig in through a little bit about you um, before, because I've been following your stuff for a while and then seeing like you're sort of really deep into this whole movement world, trying to decipher it all, learn it all as well. But then I think it's really interesting because you also have a doctor of physical therapy. So you have like this formal education piece and you treat people there and you got this website as well that I was kind of clicking around, checking it out. And what I read from the website is, is going, my mission is to bridge the gap between the performance fitness world and healthcare with the goal in mind to become stronger, pain-free, healthier. But this is the part that I really love and harder to kill. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, people don't really know too much about me. I don't really talk too much on, you know, social media or whatever. But yeah, I just made that website that just pretty much launched. I paid for Squarespace like the beginning of the year and just didn't do anything about it until the end of the year. So I finally got it up. Yeah, it's an interesting practice, I think, as well, when you start putting yourself or more of yourself out there and you make the website and you're like, I've been through it as well. You're like, shit, man what do I write about? How do I explain myself to other people? It's pretty confronting, I think. Yeah, that's the thing, man. Like even the harder to kill piece, it's like, that's one of the missing things in physical therapy. It's like, oh, let's just, you know, do some active range of motion, do some stretching, do a little hot pack, a little, little tens unit. But it's like, how do we make somebody not come back here ever again? Mm. Like, not like an old lady complaining about, oh, took my kid to the zoo did more walking than I'm used to. And now I'm here with like 
a fucked up SI joint, you know? How do we make sure that doesn't happen again, you know? Yeah. Sounds I like to kill person if you can't even walk around at the zoo, you know? And so you see like quite a range of people from all different walks of life, different ages. Yeah, especially like at the clinic I'm at, it's, you know, your everyday house mom, housewife to, you know, high school athlete. So, yeah. I think this is the interesting part because, you know, when you get deep in this movement world and you start following all these guys on Instagram as well, like everyone's just doing all these like amazing shit right like their uh, flips is like kind of almost like a norm sometimes or whatever our qdr thing but then i like how maybe like your you you would have this sense of groundedness because every day these people are walking into your office and they're just like normal people who can't even walk exactly like the whole movement perspective everything you know it all starts somewhere you know everyone's journey's different but like yeah dude like the people who can't even walk like that's what the real skill is it's like how do you teach somebody who doesn't know anything like doesn't even know a foot moves up dorsiflex whatever you want to call it like how do you teach someone how to just do the basics as opposed to like an advanced athlete mm. getting rehab their knee you know and that's like my struggle at this point is like getting people to teach that or getting people to learn that you know i think that's where it's that challenge in communication with uh whoever you're talking with taking like from your perspective where you know where you might be so deep within your practice at a certain type of level and then trying to adapt whatever you've learned your perspective and your tools to that other person who's at a completely different level and context as well i there's something certainly i struggle with as well i think that's one of the main big challenges yeah that was definitely my biggest challenge like coming out of pt school because like my only experience training people was just like athletes on the side and then myself you know mm. and like people coming into a general physical therapy clinic is not going to be that 90 percent of the time so that took that took a good like learning process for me you know yeah yeah and how do you describe like what you do do you say you're primarily a physical therapist or do you say you're like a a coach um such as like a, a more a personal trainer how do you describe that well yeah honestly that's what i was trying to get across in the the website description is like i'm just trying to bridge the gap between it all because i find it's all valuable and yeah i have the title of a physical therapist i paid for the schooling i went through all that but at the end of the day like there are way more capable personal trainers to get somebody out of pain than, you know, your average, you know, run of the muck PT who just did their schooling and now they're treating people. Like, it all depends on what you want to put into it, you know? So, mm. like, it's interesting because in PT, like, we're taught to assess range of motion, how to get more mobile, how to, you know, get stronger in areas that are lacking, yet we learn absolutely nothing about, like, strength and conditioning principles and, like, how to actually go from bending forward and you're touching halfway down your shins to palming the floor. Like nobody teaches that in school. So like, it doesn't matter what title you have. Like as long as you're not, as long as you're exploring those concepts, like, yeah, I mean, that's what, that's what it takes to be a good provider. You know, mm. I think this is interesting because I think everyone's 
kind of had that experience where you've gone to somebody and you're like, oh, it's because, you know, some muscle is weak or it's not firing or it's not activating. That's like the common thing. So is that true? What Like your experience of what you were sort of taught during school compared to now, yeah, what you're kind of learning and what you're finding to be effective for helping people? Yeah, are you saying like if someone's in pain, it's because whatever some muscles not firing yeah 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 it's i mean from what i've researched like you know new research with pain science and all that i think it's complete bogus you know mm. like nobody's in back pain because their core is weak or all this stuff because there's people completely out of shape beer guts right they're mm. no pain whatsoever you know they're just happy jolly people so to say that is a little bit i don't know like i you can't really claim anything there's so many like different reasons why people are in pain. It's just about like, yeah, you just treat what you find, mm-hmm. understand what they want to get better at and like just improve capacity from there. And so for most people, when they come to you, is it more like this coaching process and they come quite regularly and where we're talking at the moment, I like how your clinic is based in the middle of a gym as well. So do you get them out there and you start doing stuff all there? Cause you know, most physio offices, you're just like in an office, right? Like <laughs> there's no equipment about that sort of thing. That's more on the rare side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I work at a clinic, just a regular physio clinic just during the week, just to have some stable, you know, line of pay. Hmm. Um, and then I treat, you know, private clients out of reps training facility and, you know, just the gym I rent space out of. And yeah, the clients here, they're all like, they're all willing to train, you know, they're all, you know, people who train regularly themselves and like, you know, they have some niggles that they want taken care of. So it's all about, yeah, just learning to, you know, increase the movement options and just learning how to move a bit better. And mm. um, yeah, and then we train, you know, we train most of the time you know, our PT sessions aren't just on the table, getting a rub down, right? It's, you know, a little bit of an assessment on the table and then we're in the gym most of the mm. time. And how does that differ from maybe your normal physio clinic? Do you also try to get them in the gym as well? Or how do you start yeah. Yeah, breaking out sort of from that environment? Yeah, I'll try to steal as many clients as I can. <laughs> it's a, but yeah like it's it's like the worst environment to like get people better in a traditional pt clinic because you're so limited by time like i'm booked on 30 minute intervals and like sometimes they're like double triple booked so you're juggling multiple people at once usually like i'm lucky if i get to spend 15 minutes with someone right it's like most of the time they're like getting worked with by like a high school aide that's just there you know trying to get their hours for when they go to pt school right so it's like and then plus you're dealing with insurance and all that of like what you can bill for, what the company wants you to bill for. Like, oh, you didn't, you know, do any soft tissue massage on this guy. Like how we, we need mm. to bill for that, right? It's like, well, what if they don't need it? Wow, <laughs> man. So yeah. it's really like what you, you, you're, you've only got like a 30-minute block and you're supposed to like come in, understand that person, fix their problem, and then I don't know. What... <laughs> What what can you achieve in the thirty minutes? Yeah, I, I do my best. Yeah, <laughs> I, I try, but like sometimes if they're like a cool person, like oh, like hey man, like you want a little bit more personal training? Like hey, 
I work at this other gym. Hmm. But yeah, the, the goal is to get out of there as fast as possible and just like be full time just with the cash based business. And, you know, I've been reaching out to some like physical therapists who've been doing this for a while. So mm. trying to get mentored in that business aspect of it. But it's a shame that healthcare has to become a business, you know, yeah. you never want to industrialize the body, but that is a good point and i guess it must be very frustrating when sometimes you can't get like a a good outcome or you can't even see the feedback of what you've recommended to that person because sometimes that person may never come back as well right oh yeah and like based on insurance like some insurances only give you like five visits and it's like this guy's got a chronic issue like you're not getting better in five visits so like the best you can do is just educate them Mm -hmm. and like try to hope that they'll do the stuff on their own the stuff you give them but that never happens. You know, we always yeah. see the same people like months down the line that get a new furl. But you know, it's like you take someone who has a, never exercised before and then you give them a home exercise program and be like, all right, you're on your own without any guidance. Don't call me nothing. <laughs> it's like, you're not going to do anything. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the struggle with like when you go into these sort of <laughs> this sort of um service because it's more transactional once off even if you go repeatedly it's different to if you just have that transformation via a a coach where the coach is there with you and you can check in and it's more open it's more like oh you know i can just ask a question to this guy by sending him a message versus like i've only got this as you said like 30 minutes got to get everything in and get out yeah exactly and like your symptoms are always changing too. Like on the day, hmm. like might have happened. Like oh, I, oh, I didn't sleep good last night. And they're in the clinic today, or oh, I was bike riding and I, you know, hit a curb and I, you know, feel a little tweak in my back or whatever. It's like I want to always be there to be able to modify things, right? And like, you know, just relying on an aide who doesn't really have experience with this stuff to like modify things when I'm not around because I'm juggling four other people. Hmm. Like, I don't know, it's kind of disturbing to me you know so let's cut it cutting over to i guess your background you know how did you get into all this stuff so you know with the interest in working with the body that sort of stuff where did that all come from it all came from just my own issues (laughs) so like you know it's classic why you want to be a pt story but yeah i just came up in athletics my whole life so Soccer was my main, you know, sport. Played up until college. Did a little football too in high school, American football. And yeah, man, I was just constantly getting injured. And just like my capacity to do the thing I love was just not there. Mm-hmm. And about, I think it was about sophomore, junior year of college, um, I developed this like gnarly pinch in my hips, both hips. And I remember asking my strength coach, you know, our strength coach at our college, just like, Hey, like I got this, you know, weird, like hit. it's like everything I do just causes pain in the hip. And he's like, Oh man, maybe rest it for a week and did what he said, rested it and never got better. And like, since then, since college, I don't know what that was in 2010, it's my sophomore year or whatever. I've had hip pain and chronic hip pain and like went and got it checked, diagnosed with the FAI, which is femoral acetabular impingement. You know, took x-rays, MRIs, whatever, torn labrums, which of course, if you're a cutting sport athlete, you're probably gonna have torn labrums. 
and you know went through the whole surgeons telling me oh yeah you're probably never gonna be able to do what you want to do without hip pain if you're all right with that go on live your life if not i got an opening next week we can cut you open hmm. kind of scared me like you know just high school college athlete you know i didn't want to get cut open you know i have hmm. two more seasons left to play like i might not ever be the same so it was like basically from that point on and like i've always had an interest like i've always been super stiff never moved well so like even in the gym like training for my sport like i've always been into like you know i don't like to say it but just like the movement prep type of things you know like the functional whatever prehab type of stuff like I will, mm-hmm. i've always been into that but then like just really seeing my own issues um really made me want to pursue physical therapy more I originally just wanted to be like a strength coach and a trainer. Like I was doing exercise science, all that, but Mm -hmm. my strength coach was like the one who kind of talked me out of it in college. He was like, you know, like the money isn't that great. The hours aren't that great. It's all about who, you know, and, um, just, just knowing you, I think you'd be better in the rehab side of things. I love strength performance and I didn't want to just be the guy who just rubs people down and, you know, puts them on ice packs. Cause I knew that never worked for me. During at this time as well, you're mentioning you're practicing sport, you're doing like some strength stuff as well, some movement prehab. So with your own physical practice at that time, what was that kind of looking like? What what were you doing? Yeah, so it was very like kind of CrossFit-ish related. I mean, yeah, being a college athlete, you know, you're focusing on a lot of the power lifts, a lot of plyometrics you know, accessory. It's very, you know, just classic strength and conditioning. You're running a shit ton. Like our conditioning tests were pretty brutal. So you're basically, you're doing a lot. You're constantly in an overtrained state. Yeah. So we'd probably in off season, we'll say we'd probably train strength four days a week and then conditioning like every day. Cause I don't know. I mean, it's tough to find good strength coaches. Even nowadays, they know how to periodize this stuff. So it was more their mindset was just more is better, right? And there is something to that. Like you have to build the mindset of a college athlete to be able to last 120 minutes, you know, in a soccer game or whatever it is, football. Mm. Um, but then again, like you got to take into account the recovery. So yeah, it was very brutal. And like during the off seasons, like my summer, I would do like a lot of CrossFit related stuff. And that was kind of like my practice then. I think it's yeah. orientated so differently right especially i remember in my school university days is just like performance 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 yeah. for that event is like doesn't matter you get to that game and you just like need to yeah that that strong conditioning because it's almost a lot of it is just like can you just out tire the the opponent if you are fitter than the opponent then you're probably going to win in the last 10 15 minutes yeah there's definitely something to that you know because mm. like definitely a dying thing right now like coaches nowadays like they're very soft on their kids very soft on like their athletes you know and they they never know what it's like to puke from just doing sprints for 60 minutes straight with no break or getting heat exhaustion man our coach was a freaking nutcase in college our soccer coach like during preseason you now i went to my undergrad college in philadelphia and it was very humid out there so like we have guys just mm. like getting heat exhaustion and all that. The art of actually programming this stuff is still tough to come by in you know colleges and even like pro sports nowadays. 
I guess you were training like pretty heavily with all this strength and conditioning. You were having all these type of problems and then you switched over to the physical therapy side of stuff. So was it at this point that you started trying to like diagnose yourself and all the problems that you were having? I'd say after like being done with college, being done being an athlete, I was still training like a maniac. Like Mm -hmm. I was just kind of in the mindset like, okay, now I want to actually put on muscle because, you know, being a soccer player, like you never really have that chance to just like Mm. get jacked and get really strong. You're always just kind of in this maintenance mode. And then you get like three months in the off season to try to improve your performance. But yeah, so I got into Olympic lifting. Like I had the CrossFit background. So I really wanted to pursue Olympic lifting. So I was doing a lot of that and yeah, had fun, got pretty strong. Um, but I developed a whole host of other issues there. That's like when my, that's what you kind of like learn about the body when you're like doing these complex lifts, like, you mm. know, cleaning, matching, like you got to have, you know, pretty well-prepared joints to like do that stuff. So yeah, my hips were re- like, my hip pain was like really coming out then. And then I developed like the worst shoulder pain that I've ever experienced. And it lasted like a year. So that's when I was like, and I was already trying to get into PT school at this time. But then, like, you know, I just had the mindset, like, okay, like, I'm in all this pain. I'm about to become a physical therapist in a few years. Like, I got to start actually, you know, like, figuring my shit out, you know? Yeah. It's funny like that because you live with this pain for so long as well. It sounded like you were just kept on pushing, learning all yeah. this new stuff. And even though, you know, your hip or your shoulder was bugging you, you're still like, ah, like from my story as well, I was kind of similar. I was so obsessed with going, oh yeah, with that deadlift or that squat, I'm so close to getting another five, 10 kilos that it's all right. Like, yeah, I, can't, I kind of don't feel great, but like I'm still lifting heavy. So I, I think I'm fine exactly it's the ego like you can't do it you can't back away Mm. and the funny thing is too like such a misconception like people who are in pain that also train super intensely it's like they find these new exercises to do that you know professionals will say will really help them out and they just keep adding on to their already existing program like oh i found this really cool new hip exercise i'm just gonna add it in just keep adding it in and like it's not doing anything because you're just accumulating more and more volume and intensity. And it's like, you know, you kind of have to like either modify your current program to get any benefit from that, Mm. you know, exercise, new exercise you're adding in. And that's like my biggest mistake is just learning how to like really modify things and like not having to do everything at once to actually see progress and things. Cause then you're just stacking dysfunction on, um, like, okay, you do a little rehab exercise, that's what you want to call it, a little hip prep drill, and then you go max out your squat, you're always going to revert back to your other pattern that got you, mm. you know, in pain in the first place. I love this because this is something that I've been thinking about a lot recently and I think it's been a big learning, which is one, like that overall load management because, yeah. like you say, then you're like, the answer is more exercise, more load, more, <laughs> more doing something, but then yeah. you don't want to modify the, maybe the core thing that might be causing the issue as well. And then there's that, yeah, that, that core thing that 
is doing the issue, say it's like a squat, but then you don't w- really want to back off from the squat or change your squat a little bit. It, you just want to kind of squat in the way that you like to squat and then say it never it never changes. You're just like, why does this just keep on getting worse? Because I've definitely made that mistake as well. Exactly. Dude. And I think that's the secret to everything. It's load management. Not everything, but like that is like half of PT's job. Like if we just explained load, load management, then half PT clinics wouldn't even be around because like we don't need to give them all these like banded exercises and everything. If we just explain to them, okay, you just need to manage your load better. And manage your load better doesn't just mean like do less or recover better. It's almost like you have to like change up things every once in a while, especially if say you're a barbell athlete, you've been benching your whole life and then you just get crazy shoulder pain. You keep benching, Hmm. pain gets worse and worse. You still have to load the shoulder, right? You're not just going to take it away and then expect it to get better because it's become a chronic pain. Hmm. Like, still need to load the shoulder but just in a different way and that's kind of how you like rewire those like old pain pathways that just become chronic yeah it's the body that like this is still safe to load but you're just like changing the stimulus you know and i think again to the, the shoulder pain that i had and i remember going to several physios like myotherapists other sort of guys and not one of them actually kind of really understood about how I was going to the gym, how I was rowing, how I was pulling, pushing, and how to look at like those movements. And it wasn't until say I work with a coach now where we're working with all these movements and he repatterned that, that it actually fixed the issue. All of the other ones was always like, okay, like I was just explaining that I was a pretty active guy. I like to go to the gym, all these sort of things. And past that, then it's like, okay, yeah, then maybe you need to do some more external rotation, like like pull-outs or, or, or whatever. And then it never got fixed because that core pattern was just in this way that was causing me pain. 100%, dude. Yeah, it's like it wasn't because your rotator cuff was weak, hmm. you know, because you were rowing in the same way that you've been rowing for months and months and months or benching or whatever it is. So it's like even your coach, you know, he changes it up a little bit, like says, Oh, maybe try this technique. Hmm. It's not, it might not even be the fact that he changed the technique on you. Right. Or changed the intention of the movement. It's Hmm. the fact that you're kind of like, you're just doing the exercise a little bit different. So that's providing a new stimulus for the body. Right. Yeah. In a a sense, you're loading different muscles a little bit differently. So that's your load management right there. Hmm. Even though you might be doing the same volume and intensity. You know, right now, when I look at your practice, you know, you're doing like a, a bunch of range of things and then, you know, very influenced from what I can gather from, you know, this whole new phenomenon, the movement culture. So maybe take us through, like, how did you find that? At what point, it sounds like you were in the CrossFit stuff, very based in the Olympic weightlifting. You had just started your physical therapy degree. You were searching maybe for some answers. Was it at that point that you found it or what happened there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was like, basically, when I was, you know, Olympic lifting, I was always trying to figure out how to get a better squat, you know, a deeper squat, because I couldn't squat. I couldn't do my Olympic lifts unless I was using my, you know, you know, freaking Olympic shoe with a one inch heel razor on it. Mm. Um, Yeah, and plus, it took like, an hour warm up, 
Dude, I think I had like an hour and a half like warm up routine consisting of like soft tissue work and mobilizations, all that, you know, Kelly Surrett, mobility wad stuff, supple leopard, mm-hmm. my, uh, my arch nemesis. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was all that stuff. And then I came across Ido's um, squat clinic routine, you know, just on YouTube, mm-hmm. just search, just doing a general search, like how to get a deeper squat or like squat mm-hmm. routine. Something like that. And I remember, you know, Ido came, was like, you know, just one of the first people that came up on there. Didn't even know who the guy was. And um, just, yeah, started doing that. Just, like started kind of playing around in a deep squat with heels elevated and all that stuff. And just looking more into the guy, you know, mm-hmm. I find his old blog, just like different YouTube videos of him. Really liked what he was doing. I just thought like, you know, you just look at the guy and you're like, wow, like, this guy looks like he's just completely free to just mm-hmm. move in any way he wants. And it's like, dang, like I want to be doing that, you know? And I'm sure everyone says that when they watch him move. Right. Yeah. But you know, of course never acted on it, you know, still, still lifted, still added all these new fancy squat drills to my routine. I, this is when I found FRC too. And like I was playing around with all those drills, took the course there, mm. you know, and yeah, finally, when I finally acted on it and then just, you know, decided I'm going to go down this movement pathway is probably right before I went to PT school. I was just like, okay, had enough with this. I'm going to, my shoulder is like at its breaking point right now. And uh, I just kind of adopted the, uh, the kind of body weight strength, you know, type of thing. And I wasn't like fully bought into it. It was more like, okay, I would do Ido's blog workouts like, you know, his old blog, I would do those mm-hmm. little workouts, like the little intermediate beginner ones, just play mm-hmm. around with them during like deload weeks, right? And then yeah. still do normal strength training. <laughs> still fucking myself up. And then, um, so I found this gym where I'm at now, reps training facility. I remember I was just, uh, I was just scrolling on Instagram, probably like taking a shit or something, <laughs> scrolling on Instagram. And I see this guy getting reposted by, you know, the creator of functional range conditioning, Dr. Spina. He gets reposted. Uh, this guy, DJ Murakami, Instagram strong camps. And I, and I remember him because he was at, he used to be at the commercial gym. He used to be a trainer at the commercial gym. Mm-hmm. I was training at. And I see him in this other gym and he's just like doing some internal rotation hip exercise. I was like, oh my God, I remember that guy. Like, what's he doing? Like, he's, he's famous. He's getting reposted by frc and i just reached out to him like hey man like how's it going and Mm -hmm. i did a few sessions with him learned more about frc and yeah and then i found out he was doing a little bit of work with movement culture and stuff like he went to a movement camp so i was just kind of about i was he was basically my intro into all this stuff besides youtube and like the old blog and like just working with him was like more of an inspiration to me like, to see him come out of his, you know, pains and stuff. And he, he's on this movement journey as well. So yeah, that was kind of my intro into it. And that was probably 2016 ish, you know, mm-hmm. about four years from now when I even, you know, saw him, saw, you know, heard of Ido and all that. And um, yeah, so let's see. And then, you know, I connected with a lot of other, um, online coaching students that are kind of in the San Diego area. So like online coaching with Ido. So I got to connect with them, learn from them a little bit. And then it was 2017 where I went to my first workshop and like 
that's when I actually dove in after that because I spent a week at the Boulder Movement Collective, which is now Apeco. Ah, nice. Yeah. yeah. And just learning from all those guys, Matt and Zach and like Liav, and just really being inspired by like the quality of the teaching and like being the most incapable person in the whole gym. Like everyone just super proficient at, you know, handstands, body weight stuff, and like just beautiful floor movements and locomotion, all that. And I was none of this, dude. I was a brick house, like just knew what you know, squatting to 90 degrees, picking something yeah. up on the floor. That was me. Had no finesse, no coordination whatsoever. And like, yeah, dude, like I came from nothing with all this stuff, man. Like if mm. you see any stuff I put out, it's just no, like I was the worst of the worst. <laughs> Even after lifting for a whole while, my like weighted chin up was like 40 pounds. Mm. You know? And like now it's triple that. But like, yeah, so like just seeing all this quality teaching, sp- spending a week there, then finally doing the workshop. This was the motion workshop in Boulder. Uh, this is the one Ido actually touched at, or Ido actually taught at. You know, he came to the United States, was, which was a big deal. So it was huge. Like, mm-hmm. got to connect with a lot of cool guys that like I've been following on Instagram and everything. Got to meet a lot of people. And uh, yeah, it was a great workshop. And I remember one of the the moments that changed my life was... Ido was like covering this like spinal drill, this T-spine drill. It was like against the wall. And um, he's coming over doing his rounds, walks up to me. He pushes on my spine, my T-spine. And he's like, go extend. And I'm like, maxed out extension. And he's like, go extend. And I'm like, I am. And he's like, wow. He's like, you have very stiff T-spine. And he just walked. (laughs) I'm like, wow, I just been touched by a God. And so like from then on i spent so much time working on my spine like i couldn't arch for the life of me like if you've seen any of my before and after bridge pictures like mm. there was no arch in my spine it only no neutral and just flexion you know yeah so this is something i wanted to ask about and i have to laugh through your journey as well because you know it's so funny especially at the start when you're kind of interested in this stuff but you don't want to let go of like the current stuff that you're getting so you know as you said you're kind of dipping in like the the deload week right but then you're still like uh i still need to you know olympic weightlift or do this other stuff because that's kind of like where it's almost like where you get your self-worth from at the time i think because you're like uh, i need to keep on lifting heavy and then it's this slow gradual kind of letting go before going okay like I need to change, which is yeah. it's so difficult, right? Like to, to do that, I find. Yeah, what I wanted to ask was, why do you think you are so stiff? You know, like you, some people, <laughs> they, they seem to be able to move, but for, for your journey, you know, you've commented and, you know, I've seen some of your journey on Instagram as well. W- wh- why is that? Well, I don't know, man. It's, there's a lot of factors that determine range of motion and how people get locked up and what's up and all that. But I mean, it's, it's pretty genetic, honestly. I mean, my dad had two hip replacements by the time of like 40. Mm. That guy is the stiffest man you'll ever meet. Dude. Like <laughs> I, I tried to do like some passive range of motion on his hip to try to stretch him out one day. Mm. Dude, I didn't even flex that thing to like 70 degrees, man. He's stiff. But he, he played like semi-pro rugby his whole life, you know? Mm. So 
I don't know. I, I really do believe like there's a genetic, there's definitely a genetic component into just like what your tissue quality, what your tissue type is, connective tissue, Hmm. you know, um, collagen, all this stuff. But then there's also like, what did you do while you were developing, you know, as a kid, were you somebody who did rock climbing, martial arts, jujitsu, you know, like you're developing during this time where your fascia is super soft and moldable. Right. And then you grow into it and then you're basically locked in that. Or were you the person who just did this the whole time? Just your hip was basically an elbow, you know, just moving up and down, just running, just running. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, because I've, I was trying to picture you like this baby coming out, just like rock, rock hard metal, <laughs> but you're not like that. All babies are like so soft and, and supple. Right. So at some point it is maybe this environmental thing that layers on so strongly. I will say I have not seen one baby picture of me in a deep squat. I've never seen it. <laughs> so maybe maybe you're the exception maybe you're the yeah (laughs) i never remembered sitting in a squat my whole life until i remember it was like high school we had like our strength conditioning coach for football you know he was just a hard head like making you everybody like had the squat ass to grass and like i physically couldn't do it like i would hide from Mm. this guy who would come around you know like i didn't i didn't care at all about training you know when i was in high school but yeah yeah I, I never could squat. So like the fact that some people say like, oh, this is, you need to restore quote unquote position. Like, I don't believe that there's like one shape that everybody had, you know? Like, I don't think you can really restore anything, you know? Like your range of motion is set due to like a lot of different factors, you know? Like we break bones, we get injuries, we sprain ankles. Like you're at where you're at, like you're at the set point. There is no baseline that we get restored to, right? Mm. And then it's more about these new positions and new experiences for the body that you're kind of helping encourage. Exactly. So like I never preach anything like, oh, we need to restore this shape, restore the ability to touch the floor. It's like I'm more interested in like taking the person who's never had these qualities and building it from scratch. Mm it's way different to restore something say like a dancer who danced as a kid used to have splits then get sedentary and now they're super stiff that's restoring something that you've had before that's a completely different process than like somebody who's never had it somebody who's gone through injuries all this stuff completely different you know yeah and comes with completely different challenges and way of communication as well right 100 percent, yeah so maybe take us through your current training at the moment and and practice like what are you working on yeah um a little bit of everything kind of (laughs) (laughs) coaching with Emmett Lewis uh aka the splits wizard back uh actually it's been a year now last January is when we started and it's been cool like we've been doing a lot of body weight strength some leg strength um lots of flexibility work some hand balancing and then on the free time I like to just you know explore like some floor work concepts a little bit of soft acrobatics and then just general movement you know that's like my movement training is basically using the stuff that I've been training so hard for in the gym Mm. 
trying to express that. So like rock climbing, something I've really been big into. Uh, me and my girlfriend love to rock climb like for probably the past couple of years now, probably ever since I got in PT school. That was definitely like a humbling thing. Another one of those circumstances where you walk into a building and you're the most incapable person there. Yeah. So yeah, I'd say my strength goals right now, uh, working toward 90 degree push up, uh, one arm chin up, um, put a little bit of a hold on the ring skills. I was working on backward roll and all that stuff for a little bit, but put a little bit of hold on that just for, you know, can't do it all, I guess. Mm. <laughs> and let's see, leg strength, just trying to build up deadlift, a little bit of squatting, some unilateral work, a lot of posterior chain work. And then the, the big three, um, flexibility, side split, front split, bridge, and then some accessory stuff like shoulder extension and all that, some hip rotation. Uh, hand balancing, doing a lot of Mexican work and um, uh, working on the one-arm chin-up progression, or uh, sorry, one-arm handstand progressions and just like the head-in work. So yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot, but it's it's pretty interesting how Emmett programs it all. Like, it's very doable too. You know, it's doable to fit all this stuff in. You just gotta pick and choose. You know. What's yeah. Important. How do you structure all this? You know, like because it sounds like you're doing quite a lot. You got quite a few yeah. different goals as well. So, you know, we've all been there where then it's just too much. So, what does it actually look look like from week to week? Yeah, I, this is something like I've had to learn the hard way because I've always been the person who gets like anxiety when I see a program and it doesn't have everything in it, Mm. you know? And I think once you realize that maintaining something is much easier than you think, um, like your qualities don't just go away for not training something after six to eight weeks. Mm. I think it's a bit more comforting to know that like something isn't in your program. And then when you're trying to fit a lot of stuff in, I think, the most important thing is choosing movements that are like most bang for your buck, like stuff that'll, you know, offer a broad spectrum of benefits. Right. So like, um, uh, trying to find examples of this, like the dude mindful mover, you know, he's, that's, that's what he preaches, you know, mindful mover on Instagram, but you know, like say working on a freaking one arm chin up, let's say like just doing, one arm chin up work might get you all your rowing and all that stuff your whatever bicep work might you know it might get you all that so it's good to just work on that stuff because like you don't have time to train all that especially you know right now my strength for bent arm you know strength is once a week so like you got to really overload things and choose the most bang for your buck patterns with that Hmm. so right now it's looking up it's looking like just um 90 degree push-up work so eccentrics right now and then uh one arm chin-up eccentrics paired for a big superset for a long time and then just like a few accessories that are just regressions to that mm-hmm. for higher reps and like yeah i'm not training like i haven't been training regular handstand push-ups i haven't been doing you know straight arm pulling like front lever work which are also still my goals right but like you're just putting those on the back burner and you'll probably realize like once you go back to them that they're not as bad as you think they are. They might even have gone up. So yeah, it's like concepts like that. Um, so yeah, I'm once a week right now, bent arm strength used to be two. Mm-hmm. 
But now we're really trying to focus on like stalled and like straight arm pushing strength because it's completely crap for me. Mm-hmm. So I have two kind of straight arm handstand focused days and, you know, two regular just hand balancing sessions where it's more of like the, you know, fancy work for handstands and then flexibility work throughout the week kind of interspersed and two leg sessions. So yeah, training side split right now twice a week and one split once a week and bridge once a week. Yeah. And with the mobility work as well, do you kind of approach that similarly where it'd be like one, one part or one motion or say like the, um, the bridge or something where you do that just like once a week as, as well as similar, like the, the bent arm. So every session is kind of like a different one on a, on a different goal or orientation. Hmm. Well, yeah. So for me, I mean, this takes some tinkering too. Like, so for me, my front split and bridge has been progressing pretty, pretty, you know, regularly just off once a week. So we're not really changing that. We're just kind of keeping on that path, but it's the middle split, you know, like my adductors have this insane guarding to them and it's like, they just won't budge. So like we've been doing a lot of experimenting with that, Mm -hmm. figure out how to, you know, get some good range on that. So right now that's, you did, you posted something right recently where you, were you doing it every day or something you have like really high volume? Yeah, we were doing like a little specialization phase. Hmm. So basically that consisted of, um, I'm not going to really share the technique because that's Emmett's technique, you know, mm-hmm. but we were doing daily work with that and uh, just a few sets, um, not trying to push it. But when I hear not trying to push it, I always push it. So <laughs> I think... I didn't get as good of progress with it because I was trying to max it out Mm. almost every day, which wasn't that great, but it did help. Like I was, I was having this like radiating hip pain. I don't know what it was coming from off doing just isometrics, just side split isometrics for a few months. And then now granted, this was when I had coronavirus and we were kind of speculating, this was back in June. We were kind of speculating that like the virus is doing something with like, connect tissue quality and like Emmett was saying like there's been a couple of his clients that like have been experiencing some injuries when they've had this mm-hmm. so yeah so coming out of that I think my recovery was just worse yeah. going back to normal training so my side split was completely locked up like the tightest it's ever been in years and we didn't know where it was coming from so we just tried a little specialization phase to kind of just kick kickstart things off mm. and it definitely brought me back to like my max range that I was at um, before all this fuckery happened. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it was just, um, yeah, we did a little specialization phase. So now we're back on the isometrics with that just to try to stabilize the new range we built. Mm-hmm. Nice. And you know, this, um, you know, Emmett is known for his flexibility development Mm-hmm. And hand balancing especially i know he's pushing that a lot it's yeah. nice to hear like that he leads you on the strength stuff as well just uh just body weight strength stuff as well yeah he's actually pretty knowledgeable with the strength stuff too like even the barbell lifts like i think he has some experience like with the west side barbell approach to things and uh yeah body weight strength too he knows a whole lot about it <laughs> so yeah he's definitely a good wealth of knowledge and uh yeah yeah, I guess like what have you, what are the sort of lessons that you've learned from his guidance? Yeah, um, I'd say in terms of his flexibility work, for sure. 
Um, I've learned a lot just by how he programs for me. And it's like, you don't need all these different exercises, right? Like, like for say a front split, you probably only need like two exercises depending on what your body needs. Hmm. And then you just hammer it, you know, like usually it's like his approach is like one kind of shortening side exercise paired with a lengthening side. So say giving you guys something practical, like say for a front split, depending if you're more lacking on the front leg or the back leg, say you're lacking on the front leg um, and your hamstrings are tight, you know, and you can't even actively lift your leg to 90 degrees. Say if you're back up against the wall, you want to do an active straight leg raise, try to lift it to 90 degrees. If you can't do that, then you have some active passive deficits. He'll probably superset the front split with a shortening side exercise to really just fire up the hip flexors at the end range of motion. And then you integrate that end range of motion type of strength training into the full range. Mm. And trying to actively pull yourself deeper. Say if you're doing a front split isometric, really trying to pull yourself deeper with that front leg hip flexor, like you were using it. That's the thing. Like you see all this end range strength um, hype on the internet and it's like, it's almost worthless unless you learn to integrate it into the full range. Right. Yeah. I think that's a really big point because, you know, I think when you see it and you're just scrolling on the Instagram as well, and you see all these guys, like it, maybe it's from the FIC or the other sort of end range strength stuff. And it's, yeah. it looks interesting, right? Cause it's in this weird position. Maybe they have this weight on the leg in some way. And you're like, Oh, maybe that will, maybe that's the key. Right. But, we'll do it but then it's kind of like this weird position where you're like where am when am i ever going to be in that position as well so it's kind of a bit strange in that way certainly from my like i guess uh practice and how it's sort of changed like i've been more migrating to this more simpler is better type of way and then kind of pairing it to like say for me with say some of the splits work is actually starting to have more of a context like having to kick now in capoeira now i'm like oh okay like i'm training this for this and then i use it and then it's all just getting better more so than i've ever done before when i was trying to do these specialization type of exercises yeah yeah it's like you're giving the body context and what it needs to do next so like yeah, so like if you just do an end range strength exercise, you know, maybe some hip internal rotation, 90-90 degree, 90-90 kind of internal rotation lifts, say, and like you never, you strengthen up that end range of motion, you get your body used to, you know, working in the end range, but then you just leave it there. It's like, there's no context into what to do with that now. Mm. And you build it into the full range of motion. Same with like, say you're kicking, right? I'm, I'm sure your side split will get much better after doing like a kicking session capoeira or like really hammering that side butt you know end range stuff and that's one of the things that like Emmett has seen kind of like in practice of like the most flexible disciplines right like dance martial arts gymnastics like you look at their practice and it's like they're using this range of motion built into their skills right so like gymnastics you see everyone's doing all this straddle work straddle planche handstands, all this stuff, they're frying, you know, the, the compression, the compression aspect of their, you know, flexibility. And then, yeah, you ask them what they do for flexibility. It's like, oh, I'll just do some, you know, stretch splits at the end of training, right? A couple passive holds, but like they, their body has the context of what to do with that range of motion. 
and mm-hmm. what muscles are supposed to pull you actively into there. So like the stability component is there. And, um, you know, the body's going to lock you up if it doesn't feel stable in a range of motion or if it doesn't feel like it has any um, experience there, right? So with the split works, let's say for the front and the middle split, do you, do you find that your context then is like actually those goals or is it something else like another layer on top? Um, for me, it's, I just kind of want to get it just to get it. Like you don't need a side split to be, you know, good at movement per se, or like a better mover. Right. I think that's a common misconception with a lot of people who are like in pain or something. They see some flexible person, see a yogi just flop into the splits. They must think, Oh my God, that person probably has no pain whatsoever. Like they're just completely relaxed in their body. Mm. That's not the case at all. I swear, if you train for a middle split, you're going to be in pain. And that's the case. Like if you push your body to the extreme of anything, like you're going to be in pain, you know? And there's other like systems that are coming out now where they have you freaking blown into a balloon. And it's like, this is how you train mobility. It's like, yeah, but these people don't train. Of course, they're not going to be in pain. So yeah, let's see. What was your question? Yeah. So I, I want to just basically get these just to kind of prove like, hey, I'm a guy with abnormal bone shapes, torn labrums. Like I've been told by a surgeon, I'm never going to be able to even squat deep. I can, I can sit in a resting squat now. I'm training for the splits now. Um, I could do this stuff and I never got surgery. Mm. And I think that's a powerful message, especially to people who have had these injuries where, you know, authority figures like doctors tell them, you know, you're never going to be able to do this type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like showing that through a good process, right? That anything is possible. hundred percent. And of course, like it has some application to like hand balancing and body weight strength, making you a bit more efficient with that stuff. So yeah, I want to get it for that as well. So I wanted to ask you about this um, definition of suppleness because, you know, you say, well, you said the supple leopard before, and then you've called Sometimes you go by the supple dragon. So, you know, what, what does it, what does it mean to be as supple? Is that different to being flexible? Uh, I don't really know. I, don't, I haven't really coined my own definition for it, but yeah, I just, I'm just kind of making a mockery of the old supple leopard just because that's, he's the guy that was like, you know, if you're into flexibility, I'm sure you've heard of mobility wad, you know, supple leopard before. That was probably your first intro into it. And then you realize like, okay, I've been doing this stuff for two years and I look the exact same or I feel the exact same. So yeah, that was basically my thing. And I've always been called the dragon because growing up, Bruce Lee was my idol. Yeah. And like, you know, just watching all of his movies as a kid, teaching myself nunchucks just by watching him. <laughs> nice. Like, yeah, I've, always, I've, I've always went by the dragon, you know? Mm. You know how people have their like drunk names. Like, oh, the dragon's coming out tonight. <laughs> that was me. I did read on your website, you had that... Uh a quote from actually Emmett and you said like mobility is cre- created concentrically suppleness is created um, eccentrically. So what, what yeah. did you mean by that? Yeah. So like learning to like use this range of motion, it was an interesting quote I heard from him a while ago. I think he says it in one of his seminars, but like, so you learn to use whatever range of motion you're trying to use by really kind of working the muscles responsible for moving your limb into that position. So say you want to get a better hamstring, you want to get better hamstring flexibility, 
learn to strengthen your quads at that end range of motion, provide some stability. So that's the concentric aspect of it, mm-hmm. the usable range of motion, so to say. Well, I guess usable is context specific, but yeah. And then the suppleness, so the, be able, the ability to actually relax into a shape comes with, you know, the loaded stretching of that lengthened tissue, right? So, you know, doing a Jefferson curl, you know, learning to relax in a Jefferson curl after doing some hip flexor work. So now that quote, so um, <laughs> if, had, if he had any uh, other meaning to it, I would ask him, but that's just basically my uh, interpretation of it. And I like that like approach to flexibility training is like, learn how to use the muscles actively and then, you know, strengthen the actual range of motion you're trying to get into and actually build comfort in there as well. It's always that the the two sides, right? Again, going back to the just finding ways to load and then also maybe coordinate in your brain to the cue of like either the shortening side or the lengthening side as an emphasis or a focus. Right. One thought I was playing around with at one stage was going, you know, let's take flexibility, for example. Does actually anything work just over a long time scale if you were just to keep at it and just keep on going eventually you would get there do you, do you think that or with some ways like let's just take a more like passive stretching type of a- approach you would just get stuck yeah I, w- I would say so but it would just take a long long time like there's plenty of things i've done that i've looked back years later and nothing's changed you know so I do think there has to be some sort of loud stimulus to like create adaptation, right? There has to be some objective training adaptation, you know, trying to happen. That's, you know, like a loud enough stimulus to the nervous system to change. Um, but yeah, honestly, a lot of these like systems coming out, like I'm sure everything works. It's just about what you're going to be consistent at. Right. And, what you're going to actually train because you have to put intensity into the training. And I think, you know, one of the things with flexibility is people just throw it into their existing training, but it's like any other form of training, right? Like if there's an abstract, an objective or an adaptive training objective, there we go. Adaptive training objective objective with this form of training, then you need to actually, you know, program it in right? So you can't just chuck it in. Mm. Yeah. And I guess with that, what I wanted to ask is you mentioned a lot of like active, quite taxing work, such as the loaded stretching or, you know, the sh- uh, activating the shortening, shortening side. And I think we all know, like when you first do that, it's just like cramp city, I guess yeah. <laughs> it's like the, the worst thing. So uh, when do you switch within either guiding people or within your practice to a more passive approach. So what markers or what sort of things do you look out for to go, okay, maybe you need to step away from that sort of stuff for a bit. Yeah, that's a good question. And it's something I'm still trying to like figure out myself because it's definitely clear that that's not the answer for everyone. Hmm. And I've stopped really claiming like, this is the way, you know, things should be with flexibility training. Like this is the right way to train flexibility because there is no right way. It's like, there's different things that work for different people. And I'm really starting to find that out. And so you just have to play around with it. Like if, 
for most people, like if they've never trained their flexibility before, they're going to make some pretty good progress doing like classic loaded stretching or end range, you know, conditioning type of things because, you know, yeah, you're going to retention your joints by just, you know, strengthening up them up in different ways. But you get, if you get to the point where you're just not progressing and like your body's just almost like fighting back, then that's when you got to just, okay, think about maybe lighter approaches and like learning to really breathe and relax into the positions because maybe it's not the strength aspect. Maybe you're a really strong guy, but mm. your body just does not like to relax. So, yeah, I think it's always going back to, well, you got to be objective in your measuring, right? And then to keeping that track and then actually facing it and going, okay, well, this method that was working is not working anymore. And like we were discussing before, sometimes that's a little bit hard to let go of, especially where, you know, a lot of the messages that you might see on the internet now these days, uh, they come in waves, I find, you know, and then right now it is like all about like the, the active approach and then that, that's the way. And then so maybe you might become influenced from that as well. Right. Yeah. It's, it's very confusing. Like there's so much different uh, opinions on it, but yeah, it's, everyone responds to different things. That's for sure. Hmm. So apart from the flexibility, like you got the strength component as well. And one thing I'm always trying to figure out uh, when I, either I guide people or in my own practice is how can we optimize the, that flexibility and strength at the same time, like integrate it into the program. So maybe like what are some tools of choice that you like referring to where you kind of like killing two two birds with one stone. Like I've seen you in this crazy kind of front rack position when you're doing the wide horse stance and like front squats, that, that looks like madness, but yeah, you know, is that, is that one of the tools? If so, why? Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things like I'm loading up a position where I'm moving through like my end ranges. Right. And I think that's kind of like the mindset you kind of have to shift towards if like you're interested in getting strength and also flexibility is just changing the intention of your exercises and you know playing with tempos and ranges of motion so like we'll we'll break it down like this so typically when i um, program some flexibility work and this is you know for people who are kind of short on time because if if i have the chance to do specific work with people like specific flexibility work i'll do that and i um I think that's much more effective than just making your strength exercises flexibility. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if you're short on time, blending it into your currently existing program is completely doable. So typically I'll say if we're talking about a leg session, I'll maybe do one to two exercises where the intention is pure strength, right? Building raw capacity. So maybe we're choosing like a deadlift variation and then maybe like a hinge or a you know just one accessory to bring up a lagging muscle depending on what's what it is so maybe it's um a good morning or something like that and good morning you know still a good exercise for flexibility um but it, the intention might just be a little bit different and then mm -hmm. maybe one or two accessory exercises that are focused on lagging extra uh lagging areas of flexibility so maybe we're doing like a Jefferson curl and a split squat or something like that, or an adductor fly or like a weighted Taylor's pose or something like that. 
and then we'll finish with maybe some direct work and like finish with some sports work or whatever you're lagging in. So it's like, okay, we have five to six total exercises in a session. You know, that's plenty of work and it's getting all different areas of what you want, right? You're getting your raw strength. You're getting some moving through full range of motion and then you're trying to expand it more with direct work. So that's kind of like the approach I'll sometimes take with people. Some people need more or less of that though. So like you have to play around with it because if people overdo it on the strength, maybe they won't make as much fast progress on the flexibility. So yeah, because yeah. it, it's always a little bit like you're trading on both sides, right? Because then after a deadlift, you just might be fatigued or too cooked afterwards to yeah. the most out of the other exercises afterwards if you were to swap the order around, per se. Right. So sometimes I'll just do a, a strength session. And like, I know for me, it's my side split that doesn't respond very well after like a leg strength session. It's just like my adductors are maybe cooked from like squatting or deadlifting, just like indirectly cooked. <laughs> and like they, they just, they just kind of guard more, but like my front split tends to do well. So I'll usually work front split bridge after a leg day and then I'll train my side splits separately on like a hand balancing day. And I really like that because then like I'll, I'll train my side split first and then I'll uh, use my hand balancing to basically use this new range of motion and give it give you know the body context and why i want this want to keep this range so constantly working straddle handstands you know uh compression based stuff like stalder eccentrics stuff like that so stuff where i'm really using this you know middle split that i've been training for mm. i think emmett lewis uh he came out with one of his podcasts in the handstand factory podcast he did a little thing about how much reps you should be using your flexibility in your practice compared to how you should be training it. I think it was like one to five ratio or something like that. Like if you train it once, you should be using it five other times. I don't know. Yeah. That's what, yeah, that's, it could be a nice ratio to put it into perspective of um, not just that, that, that one session where you're dedicating it to, but to make the most out of that to really be going like, okay, when am I, when am I really using this? Yeah. And like to people who like don't have a practice where they're using their range of motion, it could be like, you can recreate it artificially, right? Like maybe just having yourself like a little, um, limbering session as they call it, like just every day, like having some sort of practice where you use your full range of motion. Like maybe it's just like joint rotations or just some passive lighter stretching, maybe just, you know, scooting out into your splits, seeing how it feels that day, not trying to push anything, you know? So like you don't have to have a practice where you're, you know, using your range of motion. Like I don't want to scare anybody saying like, oh, you got to get into hand balancing if you want to get flexible. But, mm. you know, you know, it's just a, just a good way to, you know, bring context to the body. Yeah. And how about your hand balancing? Like uh, how, how are you approaching that at the moment? Just banging my head against the wall, man. <laughs> hand balancing has been such a torture for me. Like, God, I, I just get in my programs, there's all this stuff that like, okay, I could do it, but it's going to take like 50 failure attempts before I get one clean rep. So that's basically it. So right now, yeah, I'm just doing hand balancing two to three times a week. And the worst part is a lot of it is before like my strength work too. So like 
I'm cooking myself, just failing at like this head in, you know, head in handstands where, where your chin is completely tucked to your mm. chin. A lot of that with shape changes and then working on one arm stuff. It's all really frustrating, but like, whatever. If you're trying to push your body and you're not frustrated, then maybe it's not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's interesting. So you do the hand balancing before the strength as, as well. Is there yeah, a reason uh, behind that? I don't agree with it, but it's just what's in my program right now. <laughs> maybe maybe the goal is like uh, eventually when I retest my strength and I'm fresh, maybe it's better, but I don't know. There's there's smarter people for programming like the handstand stuff than me and, you know, all that. But when it comes to the strength, um, yeah, I think it can, it can all be blended in pretty well. And how about all this other stuff that you say you do on the side? You know, I've seen you do a lot of floor work, flow work, that sort of things. Yeah. Do you, how do you approach learning that and practicing that? Yeah. So my experience with that stuff has been mostly through like learning through Ido and like some of his close students. And I did a little workshop with Tom Wexler, um, like one and a half years ago and just like some online stuff with some some of his students like Neil Teasner um yeah so I've just been learning from a good different range of people with it and um also just like seeing what people are doing on Instagram too and just trying it it's like once you learn a lot of the basic stuff you can kind of just pick and choose what you want to practice just based on what looks cool but yeah for me it's like that's not my main focus it's just like one of the things that I like to do for fun and just you know, explore the capacity I've built already just with the classic strength flexibility work. It's that stuff really puts things in perspective. It's like, okay, I just trained my bridge to get to, you know, a lot better than it was before, but like I can't even express it with like these different acrobatic shapes, like learning a macaco or something like that, you know? It's like, okay, so to actually use it takes a different form of training. Mm, yeah. So it almost was worth this, you know. I definitely find that as well. It's like bridging that gap from a static position to putting it into a dynamic like context, such as an acrobatic thing. It's like relearning the whole thing again. You're just like, oh, I had this, but it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, there's like a whole other process to like learn how to extract all the stuff that's within your body to actually use it. Mm -hmm. And I think once you find out how to actually use your flexibility and like get everything out of your body that is already in it, your flexibility will actually progress faster. Because most people who stretch, like there's more range of motion locked in the body than they know. So like a lot of times they don't even have to like build range of motion from scratch. It's just like, we need to teach them how to just use what they currently have. Mm. A lot of times that'll get you a lot of the way there. And so for this sort of side, have you, you say you sort of play around with it, but have you followed like a kind of structured approach or, or process with it? Do you pick out little things where you're like, okay, I'm going to work on this for, for a while. How does that all sort of work? Yeah, I think it used to be like that for me where like I would deliberately have dedicated practices to all this stuff. For now, it's more just kind of playing around. And I was doing, right before the holidays, I was doing some online coaching with Neil Teasner, mm -hmm. if, you, if you're aware of him. And um, that was like, okay, now I'm structuring this stuff, I'm structuring the acrobatic work a couple times a week. 
structuring some of the floor stuff. It's not just really play anymore. It's more of like drilling. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, took a little break. I'm going to get back with him in a little bit, but injured my neck and injured my back, dude. I, I did a, did like one of those forward rolls from standing and I just smacked my back onto a hardwood floor. Uh. And I, got, I got this bone bruise, man. And it's like, taking, it's been like almost a month right now. And it's like, I still can't do too much right now in terms of like rolling around. So yeah, I'll, I'll be getting back onto some structure work with that. But typically for me, the way I blend it into my programming is I use it as like a warm up, right? So, uh, so if I have like an upper body strength day, um, I'll just do like the acrobatics and the floor work as my warm up and stuff. And of course, there's a warm up for that too as well. And I'm just, and I just accept the fact that maybe I'll be a little bit fatigued going into my strength work, which is reasonable, you know. Because you can't do an hour of that and not expect to have anything drained from the strength work you're about to do. But it is what it is. Or if you have time to do it separately, um, I don't. I used to have that time, but to just do it in a separate session, maybe in the afternoon or on a weekend, something like that, that usually works pretty well. That's, that's the ideal circumstances you do it. Uh, maybe it'll look a little separate session. Or if you don't have too much, you do it as a warm up or a cool down. Yeah, I've I've found it's kind of tricky sometimes if you want to do it before the strength session because sometimes then I get committed with just doing the acrobatic element or whatever movement pattern that I want to learn because you're just like, oh, now I just want to figure it out. And then you end up being so tired at the end, you're like, I can't do anything else. Yeah, that's exactly me as well. <laughs> it's like, okay, now I still have an hour and a half of strength work to do. I'm an idiot. And the worst thing is sometimes you might end up double frustrated because then maybe you make no progress on like the macaque or something. And then you do your strength work and you're like so, so tired that your strength work is like really bad. And then you you just end up sitting there going like, what am I even doing today? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've been through all that. And, um, but I do think it's more important to train like the skill related stuff first. Because if you try to, if you did it the other way around, like a lot of the strength stuff, you could just muscle through mm-hmm. unless it's very skill related. But like if you try to do a Makako practice or whatever after a strength session, like good luck with that. Like yeah. you're not going to have the mental acuity or I don't know, the freshness to be able to focus correctly, in, in my opinion. Yeah. Lately, I've been kind of messing around with, um, say, like new patterns and ones that are neurologically or uh, yeah, more demanding or something that you're trying to figure out works really well if you're going to integrate it with strength at the start and then yeah. you might do your strength stuff but then at the end it might be more familiar patterns where you're working maybe on a different quality such as like trying to transition between them the most and then actually i find that's quite quite handy because then you're working under a fatigue state so that when you're more fresh then it's even better yeah i like that and are they qualities that like you're kind of comfortable with too yeah so like pat- patterns that you're comfortable with and that you know that you can that you can perform like quite well but then maybe you're thinking more about okay like how could i switch from this one to th- this one in in a better way or even when i'm fatigued how can i still perform this with the execution or the feeling that i want to perform it with yeah i like that and it becomes kind of like your conditioning as well right yeah exactly so 
that's what I like a lot about that floor work and locomotion stuff is like you get great conditioning like I, I always find it like to be like the holy grail of like the movement practice right you're getting like your integration of your strength range of motion flexibility mm-hmm. mobility your conditioning and just like organic strength type of stuff like you're exposing your body to like all these weird positions mm. you know forward rolls and like, shoulder rolls and all this different stuff qdr push-up like all this yeah you know it's it's definitely a great way to blend in everything and just yeah see where the body's at too i found that doing all this locomotion stuff was one of the uh it really elevated how comfortable i was just in resting squat actually because of all that low gate positioning so that really transformed it but um you mentioned that stuff about like this organic sort of strength and you know i think this is like an interesting one because you know a lot of the body weight stuff is very linear patterns so what do you see as like the importance or interaction between doing more randomized stuff like you mentioned you do the rock climbing this locomotion with just you know body weight rows or 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 whatever is that a real necessary part of the practice maybe drawing on from your knowledge from like the physical therapy side as well well what i will say before this is i agree with you with the squatting like when i was um trying to build up my deep squat it was when i went to that Edo workshop and i actually started using squat like in locomotion and floor work and all this stuff that it actually started to stick and I can actually sit in the resting squat. Hmm. Yeah. I agree with you on that. And then, okay. Yeah. So the organic strength, um, I do think it's important to expose the body to like different things, but I think it's, it's better used in more of a play scenario and not so much like programmed in. And I know if like you do on- online coaching with Edo, I'm sure you get, you know, organic strength programmed in in a more structured manner but i just find like doing the thing is like you're getting that stimulus so like go to a rock climbing gym like rock climb it's gonna be completely different than your pull-ups you're used to like Mm. when i first went to rock climbing gym you know i thought i was you know the shit like super strong and then i'm getting out climbed by these like 11 year old girls with no muscle whatsoever and then, yeah, it's just like that kind of concept, like take a jujitsu class, like go roll with somebody like, and see how your neck feels. See if you're, if you're capable of doing that, like, um, yeah, it's just, just do the thing I think is a good way to expose yourself to that kind of stuff. Play around more, explore more. Um, and just like, yeah, just if you have a, um, let's see if you have like a want to learn these different movements, like you get it just in that sense. Right. Like if you want to explore the locomotion and um, all that kind of stuff, like, yeah, just train for that. And you're going to, you're going to get that kind of organic strength, but I actually like to use it in, um, in a physical therapy setting um, more as like play. So like, when we're doing like what if I want something to somebody to move their spine, maybe I might teach them how to like isolate certain aspects of their spine. And then we'll do like a little stick drill where I'm like, okay, hips, knees, ankles, whatever, they stay completely fixed. I want you to just move away when I try to push the stick into you. Right. Mm-hmm. And so get a great way to just like use things in context or like I'll point a stick. Say if we want to work on like a push up exercise, like somebody's has, shoulder pain from doing the same pushing exercise all the time. I'll have somebody in quadruped point a stick to somewhere. 
they shift their hands to one area and they're like working in that kind of sense. So it could be used as like, maybe like a little bit of a warm up. Like you don't have to train it, but you can just kind of play around with it and just expose the body to it. I think that's a better way to go about it. So you're kind of just conditioning the joints and not so much, you know, using it as a strength thing. Got a couple more questions that I want to ask you. So the first being around, I guess, load management or how to, how to approach injuries because, you know, this is a game where I think sometimes some things may happen. Maybe you're chucking an acrobatic move and you fall really awkwardly or maybe you've just like overdone it on the volume or intensity and then some sort of muscle is spasmed up or, or whatever, right? Like I think we've all had those sort of um, aches and pains. So I wanted to ask, what's your approach when, you, when, when these things happen? And is there, I guess, are there moments where it's actually better just to rest and take complete rest as opposed to jump straight mm. back into more movement? Yeah, definitely. So I think in any time of like initial injury, you always want to, so especially if there's trauma involved, you always want to look for some red flags like, you know, bruising a few hours later or, you know, more pain at night, like pain that's keeping you up and just like stuff you want to look out for like fracture related. Um, and in that case, you want to get that checked out. But if there's no trauma involved, like um, tendinopathy related things, like you've just been smashing it hard for months and months without adequate rest then it gets a little different. But I guess in your que in your question, you're asking more like you're doing something and you tweak something up right on the spot. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So in that case, um, I think definitely acutely you want to rest it for just a little bit, you know, it's like these things you want to rest it, but not too much, you know, you want to move it, but not too much. You, you kind of got to flirt with, you know, the pain scale on these kind of things. But yeah, so I'm definitely a big proponent of, trying to move as much as you can um you know within i like to say around like the two to four pain range mm -hmm. with these things so but so yeah acutely you're going to want to rest it you know maybe one to two days just like chill out give your body a chance to heal and you know a chance for adrenaline to die down and all that um and then you know maybe you're doing like some joint rotations pain free just really just trying to get blood flow in there um uh yeah so i think the first like little pillar would be load management so um how are you taking load off the joint that you just injured um you're gonna have to modify things in the program so like maybe you tweak your wrist or something maybe you're using parallettes for the next week or two or um just modifying the volume you're doing so always got to look at load management first to give your body a chance to heal. And then we want to look at blood flow number two. So just how can we, you know, restart this healing process as fast as we can. So in terms of like small joints, like wrists or extremities, ankles, I love voodoo flossing things. So really getting a joint pumped with like a lot of blood, a lot of high rep work. Uh, it's really popular in like West side barbell. Um, which is, you know, a strength gym uh, in the United States. So they'll do like a lot of high rep work to condition the tendons. So like mm. a lot of band work and like, that's good in terms of rehab too, like in acute stages. So it's like not enough um, tension to actually cause muscle damage. It's just more of like blood flow. 
so yeah, load management, then blood flow, and then getting back into just um, some sort of like low level strengthening. So like isometrics are really good um, initially in like the subacute stage of healing. So you have the acute stage and then subacute, which, you know, kind of happens like one to two weeks after. It's kind of up for debate on what actually is the subacute. But yeah, so we're talking maybe one to two weeks after we want to start loading it, um, loading the tissue to start laying down uh, collagen, you know, in the right directions of loading. So yeah, I like multi-angle isometrics, um, kind of that kind of stuff. And yeah, I mean, it's a really broad question, but <laughs> we could get as specific you want with it. But yeah, I'd say the pillars are, you know, load management, blood flow, and then strengthening. And all of those, like, you can do too much and you can do too little of. Mm. So it was kind of a ramble, but. <laughs> well, let's apply it to like a really practical example, maybe to something that a lot of us do, which is like hand balancing and we deal with like a risk tweak. Yeah. How, how would that sort of be applied to uh, using this uh, framework? Yeah. So like right on the spot when you tweak something like, you know, tweak a wrist or something, or, you know, you wake up the next day and your wrist is just super sore. Like I, in that case, like I'm already starting the process. So lots of like, you know, joint rotations, um, even heating it, you know, applying heat to the joint works well. Um, and just like, I love like compression, you know, voodoo floss works really well. Just wrapping that thing tight around the wrist and just setting a timer for like two minutes and just, you know, doing some stretches, um, like knuckle raises, that kind of thing. Just joint rotations with the thing on, take it off, do a few sets for that. I mean, I would do that multiple times throughout the day. Mm. So like these low, little, low level, low load things that you're just doing to get tons of blood flow in. Like, I think you can do, you can't really do enough of that. So um, I've noticed for myself that really um, speeds up the process with healing. And then the wrist in, itself, it's kind of like the ankle, like it just gets low blood supply in general. So it just takes a while. Mm. And, you know, like these things can last depending on how bad, bad the tweak is. Maybe, you know, sprain an intercarpal ligament or something like it can last, you know, a couple months sometimes. I've had a wrist injury last like, eight months and it was like the most depressing thing ever just i just woke up like a day after uh, bouldering and like the whole thumb was inflamed and it just got worse and worse i was thinking i was gonna need surgery or something but it eventually went away so like these things eventually do take care of themselves the body always wants to heal itself you just gotta give it the chance to and just you know if you get punched in the face and you have a bruise there. If you keep punching yourself in the face, it's not going to get better. So it's kind of, it, it's kind of the same thing with training. Like if you, you know, tweak a wrist, tweak an ankle and then, you know, like, yeah, you get an ankle sprain and someone says, Oh, just take it easy for a bit. And, you know, you go to like a dance class and that's what you consider taking it easy. Like you're kind of missing the point, you know? Mm. So, you know, just like you said, chill out a little bit. Um, don't stress too much about it um use that time to work on other th other things like i suck at parallettes in terms of hand balancing so like wrist injuries that's always a good chance to like work on hand uh parallettes or, or blocks or something like something i suck at so you can always find ways to train around things mm. maybe focus on legs a lot you know mobility all that kind of stuff and what if there's like 
a lot of swelling and it just keeps on swelling up because you know sometimes that's a little bit scary you know you're like ah oh, it just keeps on puffing up and uh, is there well what do you do to manage that sort of swelling is that is that good as well um what's your sort of take on that uh, yeah if you have if, if something completely like puffs up uh, like I said, definitely look at look for those red flags if it's fractured. Maybe if you're not comfortable with it, definitely get it checked out or something like that. But it, like little tweaks like that um, typically won't do that. But if 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 you are noticing that kind of thing, um, yeah, give it a week. See see if it's not getting any better or whatnot. Like swelling should start to go down. If it stays like that, definitely get it checked out. But it's kind of the same concept. Like low low level stuff like if your ankle's completely ballooned up um you know just move it in little ranges that you can elevate it uh try to get some blood flow involved i'm not really a fan of ice it kind of seems like the research all um like the researcher who came up with like ice after an injury i think he like recalled that uh mm. statement i i don't know i it for what it seems that it just kind of delays the process. I think maybe in ice comes into play. Like if you're trying to delay inflammation, uh, like say if you have an event the next day, say you're a hand balancer, you tweak your wrist and you still have to perform the next day, like maybe do an ice bath or something like that. But uh, it kind of just uh, delays the process. Cause what we know is that inflammation is a normal process of healing. So why would we try to uh, kind of dampen that? So I'm, I'm a big fan of just trying to get blood flow in, but yeah, in terms of like something swelling up like a balloon, uh, probably best to get that checked out instead of just guessing. But, um, yeah, you just want to rule out like anything serious, like, hmm. you know, fracture or anything, but if it's a non-traumatic thing, it's probably just inflammation and just overtraining. So just take it easy, rest, eat, sleep, all that kind of stuff, you know? And I think that's the hardest bit for all us practitioners is when something happens and you know you just got to sometimes do no practice. That's the biggest yeah. test. And that's why I struggle talking about it because I don't even follow my own advice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the guy that gets punched in the face and then keeps getting punched in the face. <laughs> well, talking about advice then, imagine you could go back in time, speak to a young Garrett on his way into the movement journey, what would you say to him? Yeah, I mean, you really can't answer that question without saying that, you know, every mistake in your past allowed you to, you know, grow and learn from it. And there is no such thing as a mistake. And, you know, everything you did in the past gets you to where you're at now. And, you know, you have to fail to realize what works and what doesn't. So, you know, kind of helps you find the upper and lower limits of what you could tolerate, I guess, in terms of recovery and whatnot but i guess that being said you know if i could go back and give myself like a little whisper while i'm you know sitting at the gym on a foam roller probably say a few things so first i'd probably tell myself you know the mobility work i've been doing just is giving me temporary gains you know so maybe cut the hour warm-up that i've been doing to maybe like 15 minutes and dedicate some time to actually training it a few times a week and then recover in between and that would probably save me like four hours in the week to do whatever the heck else i wanted you know spend time with family uh, just chill recover eat whatever go to the beach all that stuff 
so yeah um another thing i'd say is not to have like too many competing goals and like i'm still trying to do a lot right now and balance a lot of things with training but at least each aspect of my training kind of complements each other in a way and isn't tapping into too much of the reserves to see progress in each aspect so like mm -hmm. you know in strength and conditioning trying to max out um like strength training and endurance training like yeah they complement each other in a way but they're also two kind of competing goals and they'll actually you'll tap into those reserves if you try to you know overdo each one like if you're trying to double your squat and also decrease your mile by or your three mile run or something by you know a lot you know something's got to give you got to kind of focus on one and maintain on the other but like you know now like say you're doing you know you're training flexibility training like i'm doing and and hand balancing at the same time you know hand balancing will give you an opportunity to use what you've been training in flexibility so it's not going to you know tap into too much of what you're trying to you know adapt um so that's that i'd say another thing would be to get a coach you know and like stop guessing with all this stuff i i did so many like cookie cutter programs back then um and then also on the side you know it's like if you don't spend the money you're not going to do everything to the fullest so i'd you know do a cookie cutter program whatever like maybe like a five three one like powerlifting type of thing and then i'd be trying to add in a lot of like flexibility work i'd try to add in my own running program endurance program on the side and it's like okay you know now i'm just stuck to my own biases of what i want to be doing instead of like getting someone from the outside to tell me i'm an idiot and you know that kind of thing so yeah get a coach i think that's pretty valuable and it's a good um just a good use of your money because you're going to actually do what they say if you pay for it <laughs> um <laughs> honestly i have to laugh about the uh uh, that last point, especially because you mentioned the five three one, and I got yeah. I got stuck on that as well. I was like, oh. <laughs> it was it was, it was good at the start, like, and I got yeah. really hooked on it as well. And you know, for a while, I was really like, hey, this is the way, and it's so simple. Um, and yeah. I couldn't really use. I got blinded by that to re really see. I think the feedback that my body was telling me after a while. Yeah, and the thing about it is, it, it's so simple, and it's like it's too basic like there's no sexy things in there so you want to add things like i remember i would add like olympic lifts to it like like oh no you're not an athlete if you're not doing olympic lifts or jumping and all that kind of stuff so i'd add that i'd add like crossfit wads to it too hmm. so like yeah you're just like trying to add it all and not getting better at any of it instead <laughs> of just you know focusing hard on one aspect and then just accepting maintenance not that you can't train the other stuff but just accept that hey maybe we'll just progress a little bit slower at this hmm. instead of trying to progress at everything at the same rate you know um yeah so coaching definitely valuable uh in terms of movement i would say you know, in the past, it's something that like, I would be like, ah, oh, you know, I'm not ready for that yet. Or, you know, I'll eventually start doing it once I gain more capacity. But in reality, like there is no entry level prerequisites needed to move, right? Because there's a process and starting point for everything. So you just got to dive in. Mm. And that goes with, you know, the last point is just 
you have to find that process for somebody who's been doing it for a while and they know, you know, what you're going through. So get some guidance in there. Um, there's so many people on Instagram that like, like, Oh, I'm the movement. This move with Jack or movement, you, you know, like, but like you look at their page, it's like, it's all prep. They're all just preparing to move. And like, mm. that was me in the past. Like all I did was prepare to move. I never moved, but I thought I was the movement person because I'm doing all this prep but the the in the you know and I would say I'm not ready for this because I haven't prepared my body enough but there's no better prep than just doing what you want to learn you know and just learning how to use the body um in more kind of complex ways so I wish I kind of got started in this stuff a little bit earlier I guess that's what I'm trying to say instead of just looking at it from the outside Jerking off the Edo's old blog. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really beautiful point there, man. Um, because I think when you dive, if, if you, when you finally give yourself the permission and dive into all these different areas as well, and you take intelligent steps such as either doing your research or getting a coach, you start realizing you're like, oh, you know, you, you can approach this in a progressive manner and you don't have to be doing well one you can't be doing the crazy shit anyway at the start because you just yeah. can't do it yeah. <laughs> and then and then two as you train it you're like ah oh, yeah i am getting stronger in the ways that i need to get strong mobile yeah. in the ways that i need to get mobile and then if you do need a little bit extra strength or mobility then you can just use that to go, okay, now I need a bit more pushing strength or middle split stuff. And then it all works together. Right. Yeah. And then you can see how it actually transfers too. And Mm. then you're, you start to get like, you know, your, your training starts to be more like honed in and specific too. And you can start to see the benefits. Like if you're just training for splits and then you like to run, you know, (laughs) three K's every once in a while, it's like, you don't really see how that's, you know, intertwined to your actual practice. Yeah. Not that that's a bad thing to train for, but it's, you know, um, but yeah. Awesome. That, that was some really good points and I really resonated with all of them. And I think if you went back in time and then spoke to a young Garrett, you'd have to come back and speak to a young Fayon as well so that you could give him the same <laughs> advice. Exactly. I'll be the, the movement whisperer. That'll be my <laughs> new IG handle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You heard it here first on the passive hang. There's going to be a new alias out causing <laughs> havoc on Instagram. That's right. Well, other than that, just to wrap up, what are some of the plans upcoming for this year? Um, maybe if you could share, I'd really be interested in hearing what you're going to be up to. Yeah, man. Um, in terms of training, just kind of stay on the same path. Just keep trying to get a little bit more mobile, a little bit more stronger. A little less dumb in the movement realm <laughs> gain a few new skills um in terms of the business side of things i definitely want to put out some programs coming up like um, i just wrote a handstand push-up program got some people beta testing it right now so i'll probably release that on the site um i'm not like too big on like the cookie cutter programs like i said but um you know i think they have their uses for people who just you know, who are autonomous and they just want something to add in. And then of course, giving recommendations on like how to add this stuff into a current practice. Hmm. So there's that. And then, you know, just trying to grow the cash-based physical therapy practice and eventually make that the full-time thing. 
Awesome. Well, appreciate you sharing your time on the podcast today, Garrett. It was awesome to connect and yeah, let's stay in touch. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely, man. Like I said, big fan of the podcast, big fan of what you've been doing in terms of the movement community. So keep it up and we'll definitely keep in touch and I'll have to come out of Australia and, you know, move with you sometime. Yeah, that would be beautiful. And that's it. That's episode 42, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sticking around all the way to the very end. Thanks to Garrett for sharing his time. I really resonated with his story, with his struggles, with a lot of the things that he was going through, especially, you know, at the end when he mentioned about going through the Wentler 531 program. I know that was something that was really big for me for a while. I really stuck to that program and it took me a while to break free of it as well. So had a little bit of a laugh if you have any questions or want to discuss, then remember, you're welcome to jump onto the Active Hang. So that's the forum of the Passive Hang. You can access on the website, thepassivehang.com. Click the link on the homepage, and then that will take you straight in. And there's a section available there for podcasts or just for general discussion as well. So you can find me in there or you can find me on Instagram. That's at Fayonp. That's at P-H-A-O-N-P. And if you want to get into contact, please just send me a message. All right. Well, that's it for today. I have a lot more episodes. Once again, a lot more content coming out. So can't wait to share that with you guys. And I'll see you in the next episode.